1: God doesn't remember those. In fact, God told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 42, and their sin I will remember no more. Likewise, God never brings up your sins or your failures to us or to me. He doesn't present them to us and say, look at all these things you did. Those things are past. They're gone. But history is important. Our
0: past is important to us. Sometimes you might wish you could forget your past. Satan likes to dredge through it, pulling up memories of hurtful things you may have said or done. In today's message, Pastor Dave reminds us that while God can forgive and forget, it's not so easy for us. Instead of dwelling on those things, dwell on the grace that brought you out of them. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 6 as he begins his message, Witnessing Through History.
1: Acts 7, verses 1 through 8. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he, this is Stephen, said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. He then, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised him to give it to him as for a possession and to his descendants after. But God spoke in in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Today we're going to talk about history. I know, history, subject that we all just love. In fact, I wanted to be a history teacher when I was uh, back in college. Today's message is entitled, Witnessing Through History. Let let me say, have you ever heard this saying? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Most of you are shaking your head, you've heard it. This was written by George Santayana. He was a philosopher and a novelist. This quote is usually recited when talking about the Holocaust. Because of the nature of the Holocaust, they're saying that if we don't remember it, we're destined to repeat this. But when you take this quote in context to the Bible, we see the Lord constantly reminding the nation Israel of his faithfulness to them. He does this by recounting to them their history. And even though they constantly forgot him and turned to other gods, he, the Lord, remained faithful to them. You read this all through scriptures. And it's interesting. There's something missing in the history of Israel when you read it. There is something that is blatantly missing as you read through the history of Israel. Can you think in your mind what that might be? Nowhere at any time are their failures and unfaithfulness mentioned. God doesn't remember those. In fact, God told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 42, and their sin I will remember no more. Likewise, God never brings up your sins or your failures to us or to me. He doesn't present them to us and say, look at all these things you did. Those things are past. They're gone. But history is important to us. Our past is important to us. How we view the past is important to us. And throughout scripture, God has given to the children of Israel mandates to remember him and remember the things that he's accomplished. Mandates like the feast, the feast of Passover, other mandates that we can talk about. But most of all, the most important thing God wants Israel to do is to remember... Him, God wants Israel to remember Him. God wants us to remember Him. And in Deuteronomy, in chapter eight of Deuteronomy, there some verses there that I would like to read to you this morning, as we prepare st- our study today. So, if you will bear with me, I'd like to read through these passages when God is talking about to Israel how He wants them to remember Him. I am in Deuteronomy eight. I'm going to read the first twenty verses. Every commandment, God is now speaking through Moses to Israel. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remain that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that perceives from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By, keeping his, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Least when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flintry rock, who fed you in the wilderness in manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you may say in your heart, my power and might of my hand gained me this wealth, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I will testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Wow. In these verses, God calls Israel to complete obedience, This obedience is based on remembering what the Lord has done among them while they were in the wilderness. See, God humbled Israel. He brought them to a place where all they could do was depend on Him. They couldn't do anything else, and no one else could do that for them. Have you ever been in that place? A place where you're completely cornered, and you have nothing else to depend on about God? You have nowhere else to go but to look to God. You have no place else to hide but to see God. You're in a place there, you feel like you're cornered in and the world is cornering you in, and you have no place to go. I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, that's a great place to be. When you are relying totally on God to get you out of there, it doesn't seem so great when you're in that time, believe me, and it hurts. And you're thinking, why am I in this place? But it's a great place to be because you are only solely depending upon God to get you out of that. And then when he restores you, when he gets you out of that situation, you give him glory and praise for what he did in your life. Some think that God's work of humbling is accomplished by bringing us into a humble place. But it is where our heart is while we are in that humble place that God is concerned with. May we be in that humble place but longing for something different. That's what happens sometimes. We're in a humble place, but we want to get out of there and we want something different. We believe that God owes us something, that something different will come to us. Instead, God wants us to be content in that humble place. There's where the rub is. There's where the difficulty comes, being in content in that humble place. That's where God wants us to be. We read in the scriptures that God tested Israel. It wasn't because he didn't know their hearts that he tested them. It was because Israel didn't know their heart. Israel didn't know their own heart. Sometimes God tests us so that we would realize what is in our heart. And we would realize how our heart reacts to testing as a a father chastens his child. So the Lord tests his children and chastens his children. God tests us. We have to constantly be corrected of our overestimation of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. You know, Scripture warns not to think too highly of yourself. What comes before a fall? Pride. When you get up on that pedestal and you think, I'm not so bad. I'm pretty good. Watch out. That, my friend, is a dangerous place. We're being humbled by the Lord and only turning to the Lord is a good place. When you have everything you need and you're standing in a high place and your heart is lifted up, that's a bad place. That's a bad place because you're going to get your nose skinned when you fall. But here the Lord is telling Israel that if Israel would focus on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, then the Lord would take care of all the material things, all the material things that they need, the Lord would take care of them if they would but focus on him, on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have it right before us, the word of God. It's interesting that he wanted to bring them into a materially abundant land, a land filled with flowing with milk and honey and olive oil and pomegranates, and you've heard the story. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Didn't Jesus say something very similar when he, they were worried about what they were eating, what they were wearing, what they would do? Jesus says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. See, that's what we're to do. When we're in that humble place, when we're in that humble place and we've been humbled by the Lord and a testing is happening, we shouldn't be looking for the way out, which is our nature, to look for the way out. How can I buy my way out of this? Who can I pay to get me out of here? How can I get out of here? What money can I borrow to pay this bill? What can I do here? How can I do that? But we should be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added. That's what the scripture says. See, God is not against material things. God is not against material blessings. In fact, he wants us to be blessed. But when those material blessings come between you and him, there's a problem. There's a major problem. A major problem. God calls that idolatry. And he would have nothing of it. He's a jealous God, and he wants only to be devoted to him, not to something. See, it's okay to have possessions, but you don't want the possessions to have you. It's okay to have these things, but don't let them be be your life and what you live for. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. The things that you want, the blessings, to know and follow hard after him, to be his disciple, the obsession that he gives you. God wants to bless those who are spiritually obedient. You know, we can be encouraged to remember the things God tells us to remember. But so many times we suffer defeat in our Christian life simply because we forget what God has accomplished in our lives. We forget where we were. We forget where we came from. We forget how we got here and who got us here and brought us into this place. We somehow get an attitude of, well, what have you done for me lately, God? When we fail to realize what he has done and his faithfulness that came through all our lives. When everything is fine and our life is filled with abundance, it's not too hard for our heart to get lifted up. Like, look what I did. I got myself out of this mess. He told Israel, Don't think that way. Don't think that way. Zechariah, the prophet, said it perfectly in 4:6 of Zechariah: Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how we get out of circumstances. That's how we get out of trials. By his spirit when he brings us through to the end. In fact, history is so important that Jesus in the New Testament mandates that we would remember him. How? With the bread and the cup when we take communion. What are we remembering about Jesus? The accomplishment on the cross. We're remembering his sacrifice on the cross. And we celebrate that sacrifice. Yes, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ because he died for our sins. We celebrate that. He says, remember that, keeping your eyes focused on that redemptive work. Helps us to press onward. When we focus on the redemption work of Christ, it helps us to press onward. Why? We know the end of the story. We know how it all comes out. A lovely wife always tells me when we're going through something, she'll say, I know the end thing's going to happen. I know what's going to happen at the end, and I know this thing. She said, but it's getting from here to there that's the problem. And I agree with her. That's where the rub is, trying to get from here to the end. That's the problem. That's where we get hung up. So as we review our past, we look back on our own history. We don't look back with longing, wanting to go back to be there. We don't want to go back to the leeks and the onions because that was where the problem was. We don't look back on longing, wanting to return to those things, but we look back with wonder and awe, seeing just how far the Lord has brought us. Just how far he has brought us out of that misery. I remember being back there. And every time I remember it, I shudder because I remember the pain. I remember the anguish. I remember the hurt. I remember the loneliness. I remember all that stuff in my previous life that I thought was so great. Well, get news for you. It wasn't so hot. A lot of pain. God has brought us through that, and he continues to encourage us today to continue. Why? Not because of my faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. That's what history tells us. God has been faithful all along. In Israel's history and in our history, God has been ever faithful. Look what he says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God says, remember those things from where I've brought you. History is extremely important to us as Christians. The Bible is one of the greatest historical books ever written. And it's been proven time and time again to be historically accurate. And we have this in front of us. We can see how God began a nation, which from that nation, he would bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world through. Through Israel's history, we see God's faithfulness. And like I said, not only is Israel's history important to us, but our history as Christians is important to us. And we witness through that history. And that's the topic of today's sermon, uh, sermon. witnessing through history. Giving history, giving witness to what God has done in our lives. See, our past can do several things. It has a purpose. As I said, our past can be very encouraging to us. It can be lifting up when we see and we talk to people. But you don't know where I was. You don't know how I was and look where I am now. God brought me to this place. It's very encouraging. What a testimony. But our past can also be a hindrance. When we look back on longing, remember the good old days. When we look back on longing and think we need to get back there for some reason, We need to remember from whence we've come and we really need to remember who brought us out of that spot and who got us here. We need to remember the things of God. That's what God is saying in these verses. Don't forget me. Don't forget me in all your wonder and all the things that you're going to do and as you're materially blessed and as I bless you spiritually, don't forget me. He knows our hearts too well. God knows that we will easily forget him when everything's going well. When everything's going right, all of a sudden, we don't need God. Everything's going fine. Look where I've got on my own. Uh, Bad place. So, today, as we begin this study, we're going to look at one of the most important and longest speeches in the book of Acts. In this address, Stephen is going to review the history of Israel as a nation. He's going to look at the major contributions by their revered leaders. You know who they are Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, and Solomon. But this speech is more of a history lesson that Stephen's given here. It's more than just reciting familiar facts. This speech will not only refute the indictment against Stephen, but it will reveal to the religious leaders the national sins of Israel. He'll show them just where they have fallen short, which cuts them to the heart, which if you don't know the end of the story, which is one of the reasons why, they kill him at the end. Now, I'm sure when Stephen started this um, speech, he never thought that the end result would be death. But he wanted to witness Jesus Christ. He wanted to change the hearts of the council. He wanted to show the love of God into their lives, and he uses this time. He uses their own scriptures to show this nation Israel was guilty of worse sins that they're accusing him from. four. The first, the first sin we see, the first sin we see is in verses one through eight, which we read. And it's the sin of misunderstanding their spiritual roots, and they misunderstand them in three ways. There's three different ways they misunderstand him. Now, in case you won't remember, Stephen has been brought before the council on false charges. Looking back at last week's study, when we were looking at uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, it says this, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the elders and the people and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of which Moses delivered us. As the council stared at him, remember, the council couldn't take their eyes off of him. Their eyes were riveted on him. They were staring at him steadfastly because his face was shining like an angel the glory of God was completely surrounding Stephen and they were riveted to him. They couldn't take their eyes off of him. They couldn't resist the words he was speaking. And upon hearing these charges against him, Stephen's standing there and he's looking at that at Sanhedrin, face glowing like an angel. And the first question he's asked, in fact, the only question that he is asked is found in verse uh, one of chapter seven. The chief priest says, are these things so? Now, the chief priest, here is the notorious Caiaphas. You might remember that name. Caiaphas was responsible and was the chief priest when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. It's the same one. So they've already made up their mind about Stephen. They've already made up their mind about what his guiltier innocence was. They already knew what they were going to do. But they asked him, are these things so? They couldn't resist looking at him, his face shining like an angel. They couldn't resist the Holy Spirit that was showing him through his countenance. They gazed at wonder in him. Stephen's ready to speak. We've been told already that he's full of the Holy Spirit. We've been told that he's full of wisdom. We've been told that he's full of power, that he's full of faith. Hmm. Jesus says something very interesting in Luke 21, verses 10 through 19. We looked at it a little bit last week. He told the, the disciples that they would be brought before magistrates and kings. And he told them not to worry what they would say. But in Luke 21, 13 and 15, he gave them confidence because he says, when you speak, this is going to happen. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. In other words, when you're brought before the kings and magistrates, you're going to use this as a time to witness me. You're going to use this in your life. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate what you're going to say beforehand or what you'll answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom by which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You see this happening in Stephen's life. Stephen, Waste no time. Woohoo! Stephen's ready to go, man. He's ready to the charge. He jumps in there, and he's given an opportunity to speak the truth into the hearts of the council. This was all the opening Stephen needed. I mean, after all, he had a captive audience. I mean, think about it. Who was the captive and who was the captor? I'm not really sure. Who was holding whom hostage? Not really sure. Here. Stephen begins to address the, the uh, council, and he says something interesting in verse 2 of chapter 7, he says, he uses this term, the God of glory. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And he ends the speech, when we get to it, in 755, with the glory of God. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. It's interesting that the entire time Stephen is speaking to the council, that exact same glory of God radiated from his face. They were witnessing the glory of God in their presence, and they refused to believe it. Although they looked at it steadfastly, they they refused to believe it. Stephen's face is reminding the council that Israel is the only nation in the entire world that is privileged to have the glory of God as part of their inheritance. Israel had been given the glory of God as part of their inheritance. Look at what Paul says in Romans 9, verses 3 to 5. Paul is lamenting, I mean really broken up, about the Jews, about them coming into the kingdom of God, and he's lamenting. His heart is broken, but he says this, For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. You are
0: a sure hope. The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings in Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Schenck. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Us, we're ready now to stand up on us. Our-